last week we began a new series called Why Church Still Matters and just taking time to look at the impact that God desires to bring about in our lives uh, through the local church and as a representation of really the, the greater church of how God's working and not only what he wants to do in us, but what he wants to do as we work together um, in, in really reaching our community and reaching our world for Christ. And we started that last week, but I'm going to pause it this week. And I, I told you that last week, that we were going to pause the message for one week, really, of the series. And I want to take time uh, this morning to talk to a segment of our congregation that I, I, don't, I can't really remember ever a time that I've specifically identified and said I want to talk to this specific uh, group of or segment of our congregation. And that is one that I really believe a segment that is often um, overlooked in perhaps church language uh, and, and maybe the church in general. And this morning, what I'd like to do, being the Sunday before Valentine's Day, rather than talking to couples and talking on topics of marriage, I want to talk to those who are single. And so if you're single with us this morning, I'm very glad that you're, you're with us. Um, I really want you to be able just to, to recognize we um, have just been thinking about your being with us. And then if you're married, don't don't start nudging your, the person you came with saying, let's move up our lunch plans or texting, because there's a lot in this message for you too. Uh, so make, just listen. There's a lot of things for all of us that we can take. Um, but as I've mentioned before, I think oftentimes that when it comes to church culture that we, we don't do the best job of recognizing uh, those who are single, recognizing individuals in all spaces of, of, of age and in time of where they're at in the single life. And that's one of the things that even here at State College Assembly that I'd love to grow in. And uh, one of the things on Wednesday night would be a great example. Many times, and I think it's even on our, our sign on the street, we describe our Wednesday night service as being our family service. And when we say family service, we're trying to find a phrase that best encompasses realizing there's things for all ages, whether you are in our college ministry, they have a group that meets on Wednesday nights, or the youth ministry, the kids ministry, our adult uh, prayer service that takes place here, there's women's, a women's Bible study that takes place. And so, but we use the phrase family service, trying to encompass and recognize that there's something that touches a whole, a wide spectrum of ages and individuals, but at the same time, I've really begun thinking about it and realizing, you know, it, it sends a message to those who aren't, don't necessarily have a family, those who are single, that we want to find the best way possible to engage and reach out to those in every, really, category. And I think it's something that as a church that we can continue uh, to grow in. As I mentioned this morning, I want to be able to really focus in on, on those who are single. And many times, I, uh, I think that as Christians in Christian circles, individuals make the mistake of viewing singleness as an issue in a person's life that God will fix over time. Many times we'll, have, we'll offer uh, awkward, incredibly awkward, and very non-helpful phrases like, don't worry, God has someone out there for you. Or you'll find that special someone. Or here's, here's a good one, it'll all work out. Statements like that are, first, they're not grounded in Scripture. They're not grounded in a biblical perspective of life and what God's Word says when it comes to the Christian life, both for singles and married. And then I think many times uh, when an individual makes a statement like that towards someone who is single, I think many times that it can, if, if it happens long enough, I think many times that it can send a message to an individual that they're in some way lesser than what God's intent is for life. In some way, it'll send a message that perhaps there's something wrong with you if you're not in a relationship or engaged or ultimately 
married, that marriage is in some way the end focus in our earthly life and recognizing that that's not really what the scriptures teach. And so if you're single here this morning, there's a lot I'd love for you to hear, but if you're single here this morning, um, if there's nothing else you remember from this morning, there's two words that I would encourage you to take with you, and that is this, you're okay. If you're single, you're okay. You haven't missed out on some higher calling in life that God may have for you. You haven't missed something that others are getting to experience. You haven't forsaken some sort of blessing that God may have on you that others have found and you haven't. If you're single, you're okay. And I realize that for some here this morning, being single can be a very interesting topic because it's very easy to think about someone being single. And we talk about someone being single, we can think about it from the standpoint of, well, they're just in this journey towards finding a spouse, or we think about someone who um, has yet to be married yet, but we have to realize that when it comes to someone who's single, there's a lot of different ways individuals end up in a place where they are single. For some, it's that you've, they've not found an individual to be married. Two, for others, it's the commitment and focus of life that they live with. As, uh, for others, it's, there's been decisions by, by individuals in life that have brought you to a place where you're now single. You don't have a spouse in your life. For others, it could be uh, you're single because your spouse has passed away. But there's a lot of journeys and things in life that bring individuals into a place of being single. And while each of those journeys may or may not um, have been a difficult journey, at the end of it is to remember that singleness has its place in life. And so both the Christian, in the Christian life, both singleness and married life both have a place, and God's word speaks to both. When it comes to some of the phrases that we'll, we'll throw around specifically in a church setting for, uh, for single life, things like God has someone out there for you or it'll all work out or those type of things. We, what we have to do as a follower of Jesus Christ is we need to always attach our perspective to life and our, our, our worldview in life. We need to attach it to a biblical perspective of how God speaks to it. And God's word speaks with clarity to the single life. His word speaks with clarity to the married life. And so what I'd like to invite you to do this morning, if you have your Bible, whether you have a paper copy with you or you're on uh, your Bible app, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians, is, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a chapter that is devoted to uh, relationship status, and it speaks to relationship status um, in the life of a believer, and I'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about it. Now, when you're there in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're, this might be a bit harder for you to do if you're on a digital copy of your Bible today, but if, you're, if you have a paper copy, just set it, your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 7 and just leave it open there. We're going to talk about a few verses um, out of it, not one specific passage that we're going to look at. Um, if you have your Bible app open, just kind of have it open somewhere to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll get there in just a second. One of the things that I've found with modern technology that I really view as being both a, a great blessing as well as a great hindrance uh, in life when, with modern technology is the kind of the ease of convenience. That technology makes things very convenient, and sometimes that can be a curse and sometimes that can be a blessing, just depending on how you use it or where it fits in your life. When it comes to convenience, specifically when it comes to God's word, and when I give you the date, you're going to say, how can you possibly say that's convenient? But in 1551, someone took God's word, the, the scriptures that we have today, and they went through and they added chapters and verses to help with reference points. Now, I realize for most here, 
1551 kind of sounds a little bit out of date. Um, but when it comes to how long the scriptures have been with us in written form, it's actually very, uh, very new. But for most here, I, I would, I think it's probably safe to say everyone here, if you've had a copy of the Bible, it's always had chapters and verses in it. I doubt anyone here has ever picked up a copy and uh, you were surprised to find that it had chapters and verses in it. That's just how we've come to know God's word. But when it comes to the chapters and verses, they're put there to help us with location. And sometimes those verses, because they're there, they lend to isolation rather than understanding the full context of what's there. So we can take verses like, and I've referenced this before, I know I have, is in Philippians 4.13, a passage that we're probably very familiar with. It's probably one of the first passages a lot of individuals will uh, memorize. If you're familiar with basketball, Steph Curry, it's his life verse. And Philippians 4.13 says, says what? If you know it, you can say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Just recognizing God's, the strength that he gives us. But when we take that, and it's been isolated out to that verse, but when we take it and look at the bigger picture of what it's talking about, it's actually talking about contentment. Contentment in the life of a believer. Does it fit to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I'm going to go run a race or play a basketball game or face an obstacle? Absolutely. But to take it and put it in the context of what is being said, it's recognizing the contentment that we're to live with it. Regardless of if I have a lot or a little, I can do everything. I can Anything that comes my way, because I have Jesus, I come out better. That's what, that's what that passage is saying. So when we come to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, talking about the single life, talking about married life, it would be very important for us to slow down and recognize what's actually happening and kind of the context that Paul is writing to when he wrote this and where the people were at. Because there's some very interesting statements that Paul makes when it comes to being single and when it comes to being married. To understand what Paul is writing to and the people who received this being a letter that was written to individuals, it was written to real people in real time like you and me living in a city just like ours, the city of Corinth, and he's writing to these believers, and something very significant had just taken place in the world they knew. The world they knew was the Roman world. The Roman world was like the, the superpower um, of the world. They were the controlling power of the day. The emperor of Rome was like a god to people. He was considered a god, and so when he spoke, it was as if a god had spoken. And so the em emperor Claudius, he, the Roman emperor Claudius, he had made a declaration and that declaration was to expel anyone who was connected to Judaism. He viewed it as a threat. There were a number of issues that went with that. And so he decided to expel all, uh, anyone who practiced Judaism. Now, you might think, well, Christianity is different than Judaism, so why does that really matter? But in the Roman world, as Christianity had just been born, had just taken place, um, and just had been birthed, Judaism, those who practiced Judaism did not recognize Christianity as being a part of Judaism. However, to the Roman world, Christianity was viewed as a sect of Judaism, but very much a part of it. And so what was handed down as being a rule towards those who practiced Judaism came out as a rule against those who practiced Christianity. And so when Paul sees what's taking place by the Roman world at that time, by the emperor of the time, he recognizes that there really is a time of crisis that's coming for believers and for Christians living in that time. In fact, I really believe that as Paul began to write what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, he was writing with what Jesus told in Matthew 24 about the end times and, and the things that would begin to unfold. And I really believe that, that Paul recognized, he said, we could be really standing on the edge of the end, the edge where, where Jesus is coming back, things are going to be happening quickly. And so I need to give very clear direction to believers living in that time. 
When we see, we, we have the vantage point of history, we realize that things may have not unfolded exactly in that minute how Paul was looking at, but he recognizes uh, and shows us the awareness uh, and the desire for Christ to return, the, the, uh, the, the sense of urgency of realizing Jesus could come back at any point, and it's really something that every believer is to live with and to recognize and to really discern our times. But when Paul, recognizing what Paul spoke to in that time and what he wrote, why he wrote it, it helps us understand passages like, uh, let's go to verse verse uh, 26 through 28. So keeping in mind what I told you about the, cri the current crisis that, that the believers are facing. He says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman or are you engaged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin or an unmarried woman uh, if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. And so it's understanding kind of the, the background of what Paul is writing for believers. Now, to realize that that time was a different time and a different place, there's still life application that we can take from what Paul gives and writes towards believers, towards Christians, towards married individuals, towards single individuals that we can take and apply into life today. So I want to give you just quickly three things that I think we can all consider uh, consider in our life when it comes to following Jesus, both for single and married. And then I'd love to end by giving you five very quick uh, ways that for those who are single that you can celebrate being single um, in this, this space in the season of your life. And so for those, for first, when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first thing I would encourage you to do for all of us, whether you are single or you're married the first thing to do is recognize your calling in your season. Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So recognize your calling and your season. Now, can you leave that verse up there for just a second? It says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. A couple of things I want you to see in this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer. What are they a believer in? A believer in Jesus. And the, the, to, I think, simplify everything, the belief is Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. So he says that each person should live as if Jesus changes everything in every situation that they've lived. Now, you and I, we go through life, and there are a number of labels and identifiers that you and I will face in life. When you are born, in today's modern technology, most know what what. Uh, sex of a child they're having, but when you're born, there's a label that's immediately, there's an identifier that's immediately put on you. You're either male or female. It's identified. As you, depending what country you're born in, there's, there's a label, there's an identifier that's put on you, you whether if you're born here in the United States, you're American, if you're born in another country, you're, just whatever country you're born in, there's immediately an identifier that's put on you. Perhaps based on your skin color, there's an identifier that's put on you. You're Caucasian, you're, uh, you're African, African-American, uh, Chinese. There's a number of different, uh, different things that are put into our lives and labels that are put upon us as you get older. When you get to the, vo the age of voting, if you haven't already thought about it, usually there's a, there's a label or identifier that's put on you based on your political status. If you're a Republican, if you're Democrat, if you're liberal, if you're conservative, there's all these different labels that, that will come on our lives and things that will identify us. And I'm not saying any of them are right or wrong. I'm just saying that's, that's the nature of life. But what Paul is telling us here, and he's telling to every single person, whether you're single or married, which really, again, becomes another identifier that's put on an individual, whether you're single or you're married. 
But what Paul identifies here in verse 17, could you go back one more time to verse 17? He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer. Your primary identifier in all of your life is not single, it's not married, it's not American, it's not Nigerian, it's not Canadian, it's not male or female. Your primary identifier in life is a believer in Jesus Christ. See, so often we go through life and we allow the situation to dictate how we identify ourselves. When you're in the restaurant after service today, when you're in the grocery store, when you're on campus, depending on the situation, it defines your action. Depending on how someone wrongs you, it can define your action. Depending on, on the temptation, it can define your action. But what Paul says for every single person here, whether single or married, that your number one identifier in life is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And being a believer in Jesus Christ changes everything. That's why when you have an issue with your neighbor, you don't just have an issue with your neighbor, you are a follower of Jesus who has an issue with your neighbor. That changes how you handle things. It goes through all of life that you're identified as a follower of Jesus. And this isn't just, just in this passage when it talks about being single or married. I want you to see a few other places Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. Can you put that up there? Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. He's identifying it doesn't matter what the current social status is. What, ident what matters most is that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That is your primary calling in life. Look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, and, and in the Jewish mind, if you, were, if you were not Jew, you were Gentile, everybody else. So it, there, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, the Scythians were, a, were a, a nomadic group, like from the 7, 7 BC. They traveled, they started in uh, Iraq, and then they ended up settling in the, in the Roman area, or in, uh, sorry, in the Russian area, but just a very nomadic group all around the area. And he says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a permanent place or not, if you're temporarily in a land, if you're not even recognized as being a Jew, if you're a slave or you're a free person, if you have rights or you don't. He says, but Christ is all and is in all. Says your calling is to Jesus. Recognize your primary calling is always as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're identified with Him. Second thing I want you to see in verse 17. Can you go, go back to that one more time? You men are doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. There is this rule, the rule I laid down in all the churches. But look at this. He says, whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. So the first is, in recognizing your calling and your season, number one, it's as a believer. Secondly, is recognizing the situation you're in. Recognizing the current place that you're in. Uh, in verse 17, it says, recognizing the situation that the Lord has assigned to them. It's recognizing that this current space and season your life is in is Okay. That's why I said earlier, if you're single, you're okay. It's recognizing the space and the season, the situation that God has currently led you into. The, all throughout the Christian life and all throughout scriptures you'll see, the Bible talks about singleness and its value. It talks about marriage and its value. Jesus talks about that. Paul talks about it. 
But at the end of the day, it's recognizing that whatever season, whatever season we're in, that we're in it under the Lord, and every, every season, every situation we're in comes with a unique assignment. There are unique things that come with every season and space in life that you're going to face that you won't ever find in any other season or space in life. It comes with a unique assignment. And many times, and this goes with the next thing I'll share with you, but many times we go through life looking at the season or space we're in, trying to figure out how do we get to the next one we want to be in. To realize that every season, every situation has a, specific, a unique assignment in it that's been given from God. So recognize your calling and recognize your season. Second thing I want you to see, and it's found in verse 24, it says, live with contentment in every season. Live with contentment in every season. As I just mentioned, we often go through life looking at the current season we're in and envying the one that we think should come after it. If you're a parent with small kids and you're currently buying diapers and formula and everything else and chasing toddlers around the house, I'd imagine at some point you're dreaming about the season that you're not having to take out a mortgage for diapers and formula and you're not having to chase your kid everywhere. You're dreaming about the next season. If you're single, you maybe find yourself dreaming about the season you're going to be married, the season you're going to find Mr. Right or or Miss Perfect in your life. And when we do that, when we're always focused on the next season that we want to be in, the next place that we think we should be in, we do a couple of things. Number one, we rob ourselves of the opportunity that God has gifted us in those seasons. And then secondly, we rob ourselves of contentment. We rob ourselves of the contentment that God desires every follower of Jesus Christ to live with. Look in verse 24. This is very similar to verse 17, but verse 24. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. It says, as responsible to God. That we recognize every season we face that the focus is not on the season, is that our focus is upon him. And that we're responsible to him. I've said before for individuals who wrestle with anxiety or wrestle with fear that in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says to cast all your cares on God because he cares for you, that we should use anxiety or fear as a, a signal that we're carrying something we're not intended to carry. And I would say the same to contentment. If you find yourself looking at a space or a season of life where um, you're wishing and longing something was different, you're wishing and longing for the next season, I think desiring change is normal, but when there's a lack of contentment in our lives, then it it may show a, a deeper issue of where we're really placing our trust or what we're feeling responsible for. But I think that if you find yourself in a place where, content, where a lack of contentment is a constant posture or a regular posture of your heart and of your mind, then perhaps that's a good point to use as a trigger to examine, what am I, where am I really putting my focus? Is my focus on the next season, what I want to be done, where I want to be, or is my focus on God and trusting him in the journey, trusting him in the mix? And if, if you find yourself in that place when it comes to uh, contentment, and trusting God in the season you're in, a couple things that you can do. Number one, take time to really examine. And then secondly, trust that God's love and his care and his wisdom is perfect for the season that you're at. That his wisdom is enough. That his care is enough. Then you trust him in the journey, even if you don't understand the season you're in or you don't want the season you're in. And that goes to all walks of life, all marital statuses, every space, every season you find yourself in to recognize that our focus is to be on him and, the, and our contentment is in him and his faithfulness. And the third thing that I'd give you when it comes to uh, 
really recognizing the calling and the places that God has for us is not just to live with contentment, but number three, live with commitment. Live with commitment. Look in verse 35. Verse 35 says this, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but th- that you may live a right, in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. It says that you may live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Some translations, depending what translation you're reading, some might say that, that you may live under the Lord without shame or distraction. That you're completely committed to the task. You're completely committed to the season. You're completely committed to whatever's in front of you. And it says without shame or distraction. I think the best way to think about it is that when it, when it comes to um, living and really living out that role and the peace that God has for us without shame or distraction, as I was thinking about this verse, and specifically saying that we live, do it without shame, is that if I were to tell you this morning that in one of our side rooms that Jesus was here, and that he expected an appointment with every single individual who was here before you leave today. He wanted you to stop by for a few minutes so he could just talk with you about how you're handling your current space in life and how you've been responsible with what he's trusted to you. Would you be sitting here for the rest of the message? Would you be confident realizing, knowing when you walk in the room, that Jesus sees every thought, he knows your motives, he knows your grumblings, he knows your thanksgiving, he knows everything about you everything about the season you've been in, everything about the space you've been living in, that when you get ready to walk into that room, would you up until that point be thinking, how have I been handling the current season I'm in? Have I been handling with a right heart, a right mindset? Or would you be like, oh man, I've been blowing it. Man, if I could do the last five minutes over, that'd be perfect. Or if I could do the last five years over, that'd be good. I mean, how many of us would find ourselves in a place where would step into that place and would be kind of ashamed of like, Jesus, man, I don't, I don't think I've handled the last few years the way you wanted me to. And would you be able to stand in there without shame, without distraction, with confidence, saying, Jesus, I've been faithful and I've been responsible with the current season you have me in. So it's really, it's, a, it's an expression of being all in on where you're at. Being all in on what God's doing in your life, in the current space, in the current place, wherever you find yourself whether single or married, whether a student or done with school, wherever you find yourself, be completely in and completely committed to what God's doing, what he's doing in your life, what he's doing through your life, what he's doing in your season. I'm gonna share with you just a quote from uh, Timothy Keller. If you're familiar with Timothy Keller, he's a Christian author, Christian, he's a pastor um, in New York City, and he says this. He says, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness meaning of life and identity, then it's an idol. Let me read it again. If anything becomes more fundamental than God, if anything, any status, any spouse, any job, any home, any amount of money, any game, and I could go on and just keep filling in the things that could fit that, that space, but if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life, and identity, then it's an idol. One of the greatest lies the enemy loves to sidetrack believers with is if I can just get this, I'll be happy. If I can just get that person, I'll be happy. If I just have so-and-so on my arm, I'll be happy. If I just get this raise, I'll be happy. If I can just get this place, I'll be happy. If I can just have this, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life and identity, then it's an idol. Anything. Anything. 
Our focus and our commitment is to be completely all in on Jesus all the time. And the enemy will love to slip in all sorts of substitutes, things that will seem good, things that will seem right, even distortions of what is right, to try to get this off center on your life. But the focus is and always should be on Jesus. And so what I'd love to do these final minutes that we have together, um, for, for my single friends who are here this morning, I know what I've been sharing is kind of across the board for everybody, but for my single friends here this morning, I'd love to just give you five ways to celebrate your singleness. Five ways to celebrate who you are in the season and the space in life that God currently has you. The first one I would encourage you with is say yes. Say yes. One of the, your greatest gifts in this season, in the space of life, however long or short it may be, or, or whatever that looks like, one of the greatest gifts that you have to offer is your time. Would you consider for just a second this morning, when you got up, how many people did you have to consult with on what time you should leave for church today? After church, how many people do you need to consult with on where you want to go to have, have lunch? Those are your decisions. As the week goes along, depending on where you're at financially, how, who do you have to ask to make a decision about something you want to purchase? That your time is your time. It's not your, it's, it's your time. You get to decide what you want to do with it. So say yes with your time. Say yes, yes with letting your life be an investment into things that go beyond just your current space in life. I would encourage you to find ways to be radical in saying yes. Not reckless, not meaning say, go and say yes to everything, but find ways to be radical in saying yes. Yes to things that are God-honoring, time-consuming ways that advance his kingdom. Things that allow you to really focus upon him and saying yes and giving your time as an investment in him. So first, I want to say yes. Secondly, practice selflessness. Practice selflessness. I... I really think for everybody, but I just think about for those who are single, that it's very easy when your life is primarily the one that you have focused on, that your time is your time, your money is your money, um, how you go about your life is your life, that it can be very easy that we, much like our culture wants to tell us, that life is about you. Look what Philippians chapter 2 says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, this passage comes from a, uh, the greater picture. is talking about in our mindset being like Jesus. There's a follower of Jesus here for everyone. Our primary focus is to be more like Jesus. And one of the first manifestations in our lives, the outward workings of being more like Jesus, is we think less about ourselves. And so what I would encourage you to do when if you find yourself in a, a space of being single in life and that season of life is practice selflessness. Look for ways to do things that help you not put the focus just on you. Depending on where you're at in your financial status, instead of, I know at times in the single life it's very easy that you may have uh, evenings where you make decisions on what you want to do for your, for your meal, what you, where you want to go, what you want to spend uh, your money on for food, but I would encourage you find a family in need or become a part. There's a, a team here that um, is helping provide meals to some of our shut-ins and our elderly. Find a way to be involved in that. Find a way to practice getting your eyes off of yourself and focusing on others. And really, I believe that you can become a model for many of us, whether single or married, in thinking less of ourselves and focusing more on Jesus and uh, letting our, his love flow through our lives to others. 
Number three, I would encourage you to do is to focus on Jesus in every season of life. Focus on him in every season and every space of life. Um, I was talking with a friend just about this message, and in that she shared with me, she said something. It's a very obvious truth that I think we most often overlook because it's so obvious. But she said, have you ever considered that the most quoted man in the Bible, Jesus, was single? So learn to focus on Jesus. Learn to focus on him. And in Hebrews chapter 4, specifically, it talks about Jesus and how the role that he fills in our lives, the, the phrase that's used is he's our high priest, he's our representative to God and God's representative to us. But specifically describing him, it says that he can sympathize with us in every one of our struggles. That he can sympathize with you in every single space and walk of life. So if you find yourself, you're single and there's a place where you're frustrated in life, you can take it to Jesus because he was single and he knows right where you're at. He knows the challenges you face. He knows the difficulties you face. And I would encourage you, I think one of the best things that you could do, and again, this goes for all of us, but specifically speaking to those who are single this morning, one of the best things that you can do is allow your soul to have plenty of time to just find satisfaction in him. Not satisfaction in him that he will bring about the answer, meaning the, the guy or the girl in your life, but satisfaction in him as being the answer. Then when someone comes along in life and offers you some of that awkward, useless advice that I mentioned on the front end, you can find a, a, a humble way to just share with them that your soul is satisfied in Jesus. It doesn't mean that you don't long or desire for something more at some point in life. It doesn't mean that you do or don't, but it does mean that in every season and space of life, you're going to be satisfied with Jesus and with who he is and who you are um, in him. Number four, I would encourage you to do is spend time with both single and married individuals. Make space to spend time with both. One of our, just I think, habits of nature as an individual is we, it's very easy to spend the most time or focus the more on things that are already like us. Just think of the example of when you buy a car. When you buy a car in a specific color and make, once you buy that and you're driving around town, you begin to see all sorts of different colors and makes of the same type of car and same color. It stands out. You're just naturally drawn to that. And I really think that when we go through life, there's a lot of different things in life that will come our way that our mind and our, really our habits and our posture are naturally drawn towards those things because they're very similar to us. We're very much like us. And so if you're single, I would encourage you to find time to be with others who are single Find time for others who are single, but not just that they're single. Find time to be with others who are single who live with the same passion and singularity of focus that you do. Paul did this in, in the New Testament. Paul was single, but yet he surrounded himself and was always investing in others or having others invest in him, but he surrounded himself with people of like passion. People who were focused on where they were going, focused on serving Jesus, focused on being extravagant with their yes, focused on being all in in their love for Jesus and serving him and letting him use the season and space of life that they were in. Be all in. And so surround yourself with individuals who are single and passionate about Jesus and some who are where you're currently at, some who are where you want to be, and some who you can perhaps bring along with you in, in serving Jesus more and knowing him. But don't just focus all of your time on being around with other singles. I would encourage you to make space for those being with others who are married. But the Bible does tell us, as I've said, it, it speaks to both the single and married life. And one of the things in Ephesians it talks about is the, the marriage between a husband 
and a wife, the marriage between a man and a woman, is meant to be a picture of the gospel. Ephesians 4 and 5 talks about it. It's a picture of the gospel, a picture of Jesus' love for us and God's love for us and our love for him. And so I would encourage you to be around married couples. Make space for those who are married because there's things to learn. Things to learn on how to do it, things to learn on how not to do it. I mean, there's, just, there's a lot of examples that I think you can learn from. Um, and I just, I just encourage you to find ways to challenge yourself to go. And then for those who are married, can I just encourage you and challenge you? Make space for those who are single. And realize that those who are single are not as interested talking about, with you about your kids than you are. Number five. <laughs> Be alert to distractions. Be alert to distractions. One of the enemy's greatest tactics against every single individual in life is distraction. He loves to distract. It worked on Adam and Eve, and it works on us today. He loves to distract. And what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about is there are marital concerns, and even you can use the term marital distractions, that a single life does not have. But to think that you're exempt from distractions that can take your focus away from Jesus would be to be, would really to be distracted. There are distractions that come all of our way in life, every season, every space that you're in, and the enemy is going to do what he can to maximize those in your life. So I would encourage you to recognize where you're at in life as a single and recognize what are the default distractions you go to. Is it binge-watching TV shows? Is it endlessly reading blogs? Is it constantly scrolling on your phone? Is it, um, is it playing games? What are, what are the distractions that keep you from be, being able to invest your time and being responsible with your time and the opportunities that come your way um, as much as we want to be. So that when you were to step in the room and meet with Jesus, you could be responsible and recognize that you've, you've avoided the distractions and you focus fully upon him. And so recognize the distractions that come your way and, and really find ways to isolate those and remove them or to minimize them so that your focus truly can be on Jesus and you can say yes in the way that you want to say yes. Um, I really want to share with you one final quote and then I'll invite our musicians to come or who's going to be uh, playing at the end. One final quote, John Stott. Anybody familiar with the name John Stott? John Stott is a Christian, uh, just an author, pastor, just a wonderful um, individual, but what many don't know is he lived his entire life single. Listen to what John Stott says. Go wherever your gifts will be exploited. He says, go wherever your gifts will be exploited. Recognize that God has giftings in you in this season, in this space, and he wants to maximize those gifts in you. And so as he wants to maximize those gifts in you, look for where God can use them most. And then whatever season and space you're in, let him use you to your most potential. Won't you stand with me this morning as we prepare to close? Friends, this morning when you're here, whether you're lonely or satisfied, whether you're encouraged or discouraged, whether you're single or married, know that from God's perspective, you have an assignment in your life for today, for this season, for this space. And so I just want to pray. And what I'd love to do is I want to pray for, uh, I want to pray specifically for those who are single this morning. Now, many times on Mother's Day, we'll call all the, those who are moms and we'll invite them to come forward and we'll pray a special prayer of blessing over them and just honoring them, recognizing them. 
for Father's Day, we'll call dads to come forward and to come and gather around the front. We'll pray for them. We'll honor them. And this morning, I want to pray for our singles, but I don't want you to move. I don't want, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I don't want to isolate you out from others because I feel like sometimes that's, that's exactly what happens in many of the comments that, and offerings that are, are said. But I do want to end today by just a special prayer and blessing over those who are single this morning. So can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes? And just before I, I pray and I close in prayer and dismiss those who need to go, I never take for granted that every individual standing in this room is in right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so while this, this Sunday really is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, we've taken time to talk to those who are single. More importantly is God's desire and his focus upon you. His focus is upon your heart. Less about the specific season you're in and his focus is upon your heart and where you're at with him. And Jesus said it this way in John 3, talking with an individual who's just raising question about right, what it means to be in relationship with God. Jesus said that you can be as sure about your relationship with him as, and, and you can be just as sure of that as, as sure as the day you were born. He says, just like an individual has a physical birth, that there's a spiritual birth that takes place. And this morning you're standing here, you can have complete assurance that you were born physically. But the question is, have you been reborn spiritually? And you're reborn spiritually is simply meaning this. You come to a place of repentance, recognizing that the life lived for self is not what God's design nor desire is for your life. You repent and turn from your sin, turn from self and turn towards Jesus. As we confess our need for him, the Bible says as the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to make all things new. He begins to shape and renew who you are, shape and renew your life, shape and renew your mind. And so if you're here this morning, friends, if you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, but you recognize that today is the day you need to have that new birth that only Jesus can bring, would you raise your hand just so I can pray? No one's looking around, but I just want to be able to include you in my final prayer. So what I'd love to do is to close in prayer this morning for those who are single. And again, not singling you out, having you come forward, but just to pray a prayer blessing over you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you do. And I thank you, God, that in every season and space of life, God, that you're with us, that you guide us, and that you care about us. God, this morning I pray for those who are here this morning and who are single. Father, I pray a special blessing upon them today. God, I pray a special blessing of your presence with them, of your nearness, of your renewing. I pray, God, that of the things that we've talked about today, God, I pray that Lord, they would recognize, Lord, that the greatest satisfaction that comes in life is found in you. It's not found in others. It's not found in what others think of us. It's found in you. And so I pray this morning, God, that just the blessing of your nearness would, would be with each one. God, I pray that you would help all of us to see our lives and our seasons as you see them. God, I realize that for some here, both single and married, God, that that may mean that we need to have a change or adjusting of our perspective. So I pray, God, that you would help us to view our life as you view it, to view our season as you view it. I pray for those who are single, God, that to help them to see the, the space and the season and the things in life with where they're at, God, to help them to see it from your perspective, to see the gift that you've given them in this time and the space, the gift that you've given to all of us. And then, Father, I do pray for healing for the hearts of many. 
God, those who are single through the series of life choices of others. God, I pray for those who are single through loss. And I pray for those who are single, God, who have been wounded by words that others have tried to speak, whether it be helpful advice or even cutting advice. Lord, I pray for your healing and your peace and your presence to be with each one. Lord, for each one that's here this morning, I pray for this, your blessing and your renewal over all of our hearts and our minds as we continue to focus upon you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to dismiss you in just a second, but just before I do, I'm going to ask, we have a couple of our leaders, those from the ministry team, whether you're on the elders, elder board, or some on the prayer team, if we could have a couple of them on either side, just available and ready for prayer for anyone who would want to come forward. Um, and as I dismiss, those leaders will be there, and you can find them. And friends, here this morning, we, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe uh, just for God's continued healing and transformation in lives and in hearts. And if you're here this morning, and you would love to have someone agree with you in prayer, um, whether it be for physical healing, whether it be in regards to some of the things that I've talked about this morning, or other matters in your life, or you want to have someone pray with you in making a decision for Jesus, I would encourage you to find some of those leaders. But as I dismiss you this morning, some of those leaders can come. It's a final blessing for those as you need as for those who slip out this morning. Numbers chapter six says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Dear ones, we love you. We are praying for you, and we'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Be blessed as you go.